Lord, I thank you for this incredible text in which we get to see how you interceded for us and continue to do so. Lord, I pray that you'd help me as I preach. I pray for each one of us, Lord, to have a desire to follow you and walk in your ways. And I pray this in your holy name. Amen. Well, do you know what happened 40 days after the resurrection? Jesus ascended. He spent 40 days explaining the kingdom and revealing his resurrected body to his followers. And then after 40 days, he ascended to heaven and he had told his disciples that it is better for you if I go back to the Father because then the the helper, the Holy Spirit, can come. Once Jesus completed all of his work, then the Holy Spirit was sent to come and empower and liven the church, lead us into all truth, to explain things, to help the scriptures get written. He did all kinds of amazing things and continues, continues to do so. And Jesus is now ruling the universe from heaven. On, uh, in our liturgy on the, I think it's the Good Friday service, but definitely during Lent, there's a certain prayer that always, um, it's sort of convicting and it's, it's graphic. It's, Jesus, you have set your cross between our sin and the wrath of God. As our great high priest, he has made intercession for us and is applying that, is, um, is interceding for us, is, uh, he is in heaven as our great high priest. And let me just read a couple of, of texts to you about this, so what Jesus is doing for us. One is from 1 John 2, uh, verse 1. The apostle John says this, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And the word there, advocate, is the Greek word paraclete, the one called alongside of. It picks up every, everything from uh, an encourager, a comforter, the helper, to even the legal metaphor of being like a, a legal aid, an, an attorney, someone who's a counselor in that sense. He is applying his atoning sacrifice, his propitiation, to use a big word, which takes care of wrath on our behalf as our priest. Hebrews picks it up and says it this way. Hebrews 7, uh, 25 says, He holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus makes intercession for us. And one, a third one, let me go to Romans 8. Romans 8, 34 says this. Actually, I'm going to read 31 through 34. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Jesus prays for you and for me. I wonder how that makes you feel when you think about it. I hope it gives you a sense of comfort, a sense of relief, knowing that he is interceding for us. I've been praying uh, for a friend who's trying to sell their house and move down here to Florida, and um, a windstorm blew through and knocked down two big maple trees onto their house. And sort of tongue-in-cheek, he texted me and said, 
I guess you're not doing a very good job praying, implying that the trees fell because I failed to intercede appropriately on his behalf. Well, I know, I took it, I think in the spirit it was intended, it was kind of humorous, but I know people who are very conscientious about their intercessions and their prayer life, and they can become anxious about their prayer list. They actually keep a list of things, and they feel if they forget to pray for a day, something bad is going to happen. But I want you to remember and recognize that when we intercede, we're actually joining in what Jesus is already doing as our great high priest who intercedes for us. We are called to pray along with him, and we are called to pray, and that's an important thing, but we're joining in what he is doing, and he is praying for us 24-7. In the Compline service we'd been using at the beginning of COVID-19 on Wednesday nights, there's a very simple antiphon that's really helpful for us to learn. It's, it says, guide us waking, O Lord, and guard us sleeping, that awake we may watch with Christ, and asleep we may rest in him. In other words, when we are awake, we are watching, like keeping vigil. We're watching for Christ, but all, also with him. We are praying as he leads us to pray, but then we go to sleep. And it's part of God's plan for us that a third of our lives will be spent in sleep. You know what's good about that? I'm not holding up the world on my shoulders. I'm able to put my head on the pillow and go, okay, God, I'm handing the universe back over to you. You got this. I'm going to sleep for a while. But see, he's never sleeping or slumbering. He is constantly praying. He's holding things up. And we trust in him. And so John 17 is a real gift to us because we get to see how Jesus intercedes. What does he pray like? What what, what is the Lord's Prayer? And we call the Lord's Prayer the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, but it really could be called the Disciples' Prayer because he gave it to us to pray. Here is actually the Lord praying, and it's a lengthy prayer. We only read verses 1 through 11, but it goes further. And it's really a gift to us because it shows us what he cared about on the night that he was about to be betrayed and die. And when somebody knows they're going to die, there's an incredible clarity And we see Jesus here revealing his heart. He prays for himself, he prays for his church, and then he does pray for the world. I know people who say, I believe in God, I'm just really not into organized religion. You know, they just, they couldn't be bothered with the church. Um, they, They claim to believe in God, but if they really believed in God, they would care about the things that he cares about, his concerns. And on this night that Jesus was going to die, what is he concerned about? The church. He's worried about the church. He's praying for the church. He's entrusting them into his father's hands as he's about to go to the cross. This is his heart. It's it's the way that his ministry is going to go further as he ascends to the father. He's left a small band of now 11 people and some other disciples that were part of that following entrusted with the gospel and the task of evangelizing the world of being his hands and feet in the world, the body of Christ. And I can understand why people don't want to be part of organized religion, or specifically Christianity. It's messy. I know it's messy. Jesus is perfect, but his bride is still being perfected for when he returns. So there's work to be done. Hence, the prayer, the need for prayer. He's praying for his church as he is about to ascend to the Father. Now, I want to point uh, four verses out just from, I'm just going to focus in on verses 6 through 11, 
Um, I'm going to leave the part that Jesus prays about himself for another time and the stuff that goes into mission and into the world for another time. But I want to look at verses 6, 9, 10, and 11. Some specific things that Jesus is praying here. First of all, in verse 6, it says this, that Jesus prays this to the Father. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. One of the things I really like about that is its gracious oversight of their ignorance. They have kept your word. And he prays this on the night when Judas has already gone out to betray him. Peter's going to deny him three times. The rest are all going to scatter. And they're going to be confused and doubting, and they're not going to get it for quite a while. But he doesn't bring any of that stuff up. He just says, they have kept your word. In other words, they're sticking with Jesus. At one point, Peter said, you have the words of eternal life. Where else would we go? They know that he's come from the Father. They know that his words are true, even if they don't fully comprehend them. And they've decided, they've made a decision in their heart, we're going to stick with this guy. We're going to follow Jesus. And so, in, in a sense, they have kept the Father's word given through the Son. In verse 9, it talks about belonging to the Father. So Jesus prays this, <clears throat> I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you gave me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, all yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. He does, by the way, pray for the world in verses 21 and 23. But what he means is right now in this specific prayer, I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for the ones you gave me. Now, remember, Jesus went out one night early on in his ministry and spent all night in prayer. And then the next day, he called the 12 apostles to be his apostles. He prayed all night, and the Father led him to who the ones were that he was being given. And now he's praying for them. And he's saying that they were yours, and you've given them to me. And what's helpful about this is to recognize they don't belong to the world or the prince of this world, Satan. They belong to the Father. And belonging speaks, speaks of identity. They know who they are because they've aligned with God and his kingdom because he's called them. God chose them and called them, and they heard his voice. Several weeks ago, we heard the sermon about the good shepherd. The good shepherd calls, and his sheep hear his voice and follow. These guys had responded to his voice. Now, they they were responding in the Jewish way. They had the Torah. They had the Sabbath worship and synagogue, and they were waiting for the Messiah. And when he appeared, they heard his voice, and they followed they, they belonged to the Father, and fa- the Father entrusted them to the Son, and he took them for three years and discipled them and mentored them, and he sang, all that are, is mine is yours, and vice versa. By the way, he can only say that because he's God. Each one of us can and should say, all that is mine is actually yours, but the reverse is not true. All that is yours is not mine. His omniscience, his omnipotence, God's power, his presence, all of that, Jesus says, is Jesus's. He's able to say it's reciprocal because he's God. He's divine. And that's coming out right here. And he is aware that the Father and he are one. And he's praying this, by the way, not because he needs to say it out loud. He's saying it so that we would have this. Just like he prayed at Lazarus's tomb, I know that you always hear me, Father, but I'm saying this on their behalf, that they might believe that I came from you. So he's helping us understand 
the interaction between the Father and the Son in this prayer. And then in verse 10, a little further, in that same verse, it says, All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. What does it mean to glorify someone? It means to hold them up for honor and for praise. And Jesus has been held up for honor and praise by his church, by his first followers. In many cases, at great personal expense, others abandoned him, and they stuck with Jesus, and they, they worshiped him. They held him up for honor and for praise. They worship what the world rejected. If you were to jump down further to verse 14, it says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Jesus gave them the word of the Father, and the world hated them for it because they're not of the world. They were holding Jesus up. They were, as one person once said it, increasing his fame in the world thus glorifying him. I think about events like when they were on the lake and the storm came up and Jesus calmed the storm. They say, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey? And it's both a question, but it was more a statement. Look at this. The winds and the waves obey his voice. They were recognizing his divinity, his power, his lordship over all creation. He is the God of wonders. Even the winds and the waves obey. And they were worshiping him, and they were glorifying him. And then verse 11, they have to remain in the world, as do we. In verse 11, he says this. This was the last verse we read this morning, the final one. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. By praying, keep them in your name. Keep them true to your name. Keep them connected to you. They are, they are going to remain in the world, and I'm leaving them and going back to the Father, going to heaven. They're going to be in the world, but there's going to be a clash because they're going to be countercultural. They're going to live in a different way. They've, he's already mentioned that, that it's going to be difficult in verse 14 because the world hates them because they receive his word. He's leaving them and those who follow Jesus in the world. And we pick up from this prayer that phrase, Christians are to be in the world but not of the world. It's a very hard thing to do. We are meant to look different. Jesus said elsewhere, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The salt is supposed to preserve it and season and flavor it. And light illuminates darkness and it shines the way, the path to walk in. Jesus expected them to live good lives among the Gentiles so that they would see that and that they would turn to the Father and praise the Father. And they are to be unified to God and to each other. His prayer is that they might be one even as we are one. As the Father and the Son are united and are one, he wants the church to be united and one, both with each other and with him. I think I've told you before, one of the things that caught me uh, by, it just struck me when I first became a Christian, I started going to a youth group and I noticed that the, the other kids that were high school kids that were going to this youth group did not have in common the things that would be typical um, of a group of teenagers. Many of them went to different schools. Some went to public schools, some went to private schools. Uh, they lived in different neighborhoods. In school, they would fit in different cliques or social groups. But in youth group, when they would gather on Sunday nights, there was a unity. 
And the reason there was a unity is because each one of them was following Christ. He was the center. And as, as they had their hearts fixed on God, then they were able to have fellowship with one another. It was incredibly unifying. And it, it caught my attention because it looked different than what you would see at school. You know, the typical lunchroom with all the tables spread out according to social groups. Those same kids were interacting in the church as friends. I think that's what God wants to have happen. He wants a kind of unity within the church that the world looks in and says, they have something that I wish I could have. And that is, if you read further in this prayer, that is what he intends to have happen. When he later prays for the world, he says, so that the world may believe that you sent me and that, they, that the world would know that you sent me. In verses 21 and 23, this is going to happen because of the witness of the church in the world. It's my conviction that the church is the hope of the world because it's the hands and feet of God. Christ has left us in the world to be his witnesses, and he's praying for these things to happen in the church, that we would keep his word, that we would know our belonging to the Father, our identity would be in him, not in the world, that we would glorify Christ, we would hold him up, that people would see how good and awesome he is, and that we would remain in the world. I've, I know there's, there's a fine line with that. I know some people who've been accused of being so heavenly, heavenly bound that they're no earthly good. In other words, they've become so different and so focused on heavenly things, they've, it's like they've walked away from the world, and the world, they're not relevant any, anymore. The world can't even understand And then there are others trying to identify with the world that they get sucked into the culture and their witness becomes compromised. They start to become so much like the culture that they're no longer salt and light. And we have to walk, if you're a Christian, you have to walk a line down the middle of that. But know that Jesus is praying for it to happen, that we would be in the world and effective and bringing glory to him because we have our belonging with the Father and we keep to his word. This is what Jesus is praying for, for you and for me, if you're a believer. And if you're not, he's praying for you to become one through the witness of the church. I want to encourage you to come be part of the church. And I mean, I know right now you can't physically come on Sunday mornings like we'd like to, but you can be part of the church in a dozen other ways. Just go to the website and look at it. But to say, I love God, I believe in God, I love Jesus, and not love his bride is to misunderstand who he is. He loves the church, and on the night he was betrayed and going to die, he was praying for the church. He was praying for these things to happen. Now, you know what Christ prays for us, and I hope that you will renew your commitment to these things, knowing that he is interceding for them to happen in your life. We're going to respond. I'm going to say a prayer now. We're going to respond by singing a song, renewing our commitment to follow Christ wherever he leads us as his witnesses in this world. And I, I want to join you, or invite you to join me in, um, in a word of prayer. Jesus, again, I'm thankful that we have your high priestly prayer, as it's been called, that we get to see how you pray for us. Lord, I thank you for your work on the cross, for dying for our sins, for making atonement for us, for forgiving us, and for restoring us in a relationship with the Father. Lord, help us to follow you and walk in your ways. And for any who are listening today who don't yet know you, have not committed their heart to you, 
Let them hear your voice, that you are calling them, for you are good and you love us. And I thank you for that. And I pray it in your holy name. Amen.